Hello and welcome to this Net Zero Investor Podcast. I'm Monica Woodley. Today we'll be examining the ways in which pension funds and other investors have been calculating the potential impact of climate change on their portfolios and discussing a new report which reveals how those methods are massively underestimating that impact. I'm joined by the report's author, Professor Steve Keane, who is a world-leading critic of neoclassical economics, and Mark Campanelli, the founder and executive chairman of Carbon Tracker, which sponsored the report. So, Mark, if I could start with you, if you could give us some of just kind of the headline findings of the report so we can understand why investors should be interested in its findings. Thanks, Monica. So, Carbon Tracker is a nonprofit financial think tank. We look at the energy transition and particularly how, as the world decarbonizes, what this will mean for investors in the fossil fuel system. So, when we started to see advice coming to pension schemes, and this was advice being recycled to members, the ordinary public, that said when the planet had reached four or five degrees of warming, that this didn't represent a risk to the value of the assets. I sat up and thought, well, that can't be right. I trained, my background's in economics, and I spent 20 years in the financial world. And I thought, well, you know, if the scientists are telling us that the planet is largely uninhabitable at that point, how come the advice is saying assets aren't going to fall in value. That seemed to be a conundrum. And when I learned about the work of Professor Steve Keane and his critical analysis of the models that sit behind this kind of thinking, I thought, well, actually, this is really important. We have to, we have to get into the detail. And, and so I was thrilled to be able to work with Professor Keane. The headlines essentially conclude that we, we can't rely on the models that form the basis of the investment advice. And And when one pension scheme last year came out and said, it's a huge, globally significant pension scheme, said that 4.3 degrees of warming represents an acceptable risk, I nearly pulled my hair out. I I was so (laughs) shocked by this. And so that really is the main, main driver. Ultimately, what this research is about is the fiduciary duty of trustees to protect the value of the assets for members. And Somebody could be joining a pension scheme at the age of 20. They won't retire until they're age 65 or 70. What will the world look like in 50 years' time if the world has gone to that level of warming? What are we actually doing? The scientists tell us the absolute upper limit is one and a half degrees, that we shouldn't be interfering with Mm -hmm. the planet's natural systems of stability. Four degrees of warming is unimaginable. Yeah, I can see why you had uh, some red flags there. Steve, if if you could give us a brief overview of how investors are currently assessing the potential impact of climate change on their portfolios and help us understand the issues with these methods. What they're doing is relying upon refereed papers by economists. That's the bottom line. If you look at the various consulting firms that are engaged in advising pension funds as to how they should evaluate the potential impact on climate change, those consultants are are reading papers by academic economists, which have been published in refereed journals, and they're then perhaps sometimes modifying the way they express the the models themselves or some of the empirical assertions. But fundamentally, they're saying these are refereed academic papers. We're trusting them as therefore an accurate, quality-controlled statement of what the likely impact of climate change is going to be on the economy. That is a fallacy. Unfortunately, because when you take a look at mm-hmm. the papers, of course, climate change, the economics of climate change is a two discipline subject. It's the economists and it's scientists on climate change. Now, what 
everybody thinks, and what I thought before I read the refereed literature, was that the economists were relying upon the science literature to say what the physical impact would be and then mapping that across to the economic literature. I found that was not the case at all. Instead, economists have made up their own numbers and their own numbers are made up on absolutely objectionable grounds, the sort of thing that should never have been published. But it was published because the people who did the refereeing were also economists and their knowledge about climate change is load is very close to zero. So they were saying, oh, here's a statement where in a 1991 paper, for example, William Nordhaus assumes that 87% of the economy will be unaffected by climate change because it takes place in what he called carefully controlled environments. 87% of the economy, he said, were negligibly affected by climate change. Now that 87% was all of manufacturing, all of wholesale and retail services, all of the government sector, all of finance, insurance, and most of real estate, and even, wait for it, mining. Now, the only thing that those industries have in common, <laughs> apart from open-cut mining, which obviously he neglected, was they're done undercover, under a roof. So fundamentally, what he was saying is climate change is weather. If you're not exposed to the weather, you won't be affected by climate change. Now, if that was submitted to a science journal, not only would the paper have been rejected, the person who wrote it would have been a laughing stock amongst his own colleagues. But in Economists, this was accepted. This is actually published in the Economic Journal, which is published by Oxford University. It's one of the world's five top economics journals. Wow. And what then happened was it's only a small number of economists actually work on this topic. Probably no more than in terms of the ones who do the original research on what they say is going to be the economic impact, no more than 50 people. out of There must be a thousand times as many economists as that around right. the world. And when they refer each other's papers, they agree with each other's conclusions. So the most extreme predictions they've made have been made by a paper called, uh, there's one called uh, by Burke and a few others in 2015 or 2017, I think. And what they did was they said, we're going to look at the change in temperature between 1960 and 2014. So temperature's gone up across that period and look at the impact on GDP. We find a nonlinear relationship between the two. And we then extrapolate that forward 80 years as though the relationship is never going to change. And what they therefore said is the mm -hmm. uh, four degrees of global warming by 2100 would cause a fall in GDP of about 23% compared to what it would be in the complete absence of climate change. Now, that means that rather than being, say, five times richer per capita by 2100, we'll be four times. And that's what leads to people like Stuart Kirk saying, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. But the scientists are saying, and Mark did this very well, one and a half degrees, anything above that can implies catastrophic damages. And therefore, it's really basically the naive confidence of economists in the capacity of capitalism to cope with any challenge that meant they've made up numbers that imply the results they want. And then, unfortunately, pension funds are taking those numbers as being based on scientific research. They are anything but. Mm -hmm. And that is the trouble. Therefore, the, the, what pension funds are saying is, and one of the pension funds I saw, I think, was Shropshire Council Pension Fund, said that a four-degree increase in temperature by 2030, which is simply physically impossible, no scientist on the planet thinks that's a feasible outcome, mm -hmm. would cause a 0.6% fall in annual returns. Now, that is completely trivializing and misunderstanding the dynamic, the ecological changes we're going through. So, therefore, they're, they're telling their pensioners' funds that their pensions are safe when their pensions are in extreme jeopardy, not only their pensions, quite possibly their lives. Mm-hmm. So essentially, as you said, that it's just extrapolating forward what has happened in the past and, and kind of ignoring the idea of tipping points at which things would then rapidly get much worse. As if there'll be no, no tipping points. 
even tipping points. They, they, a paper came out from a bunch of economists in 2021 saying that if we lost eight significant elements of the, of the planet, and that was the, the Arctic summer sea ice, West Antarctic, Greenland, Amazon, what's called the AMOC, and three other factors, would cause a 1.4% additional fall to the impact of a six-degree increase in temperature. Now, this is ludicrous. This simply doesn't deserve any respect right. whatsoever. <laughs> but, of course, because it goes from economists to consultants to pension funds, there's an acceptance mm. of trust through the whole era, which is not justified. And this the entire foundation of the way pension funds have been evaluating the dangers of climate change has to be thrown out. And we have to rely just upon mm. what the scientists tell us and never listen to the economist again. <laughs> this is the most important thing, Monica, because when it translates from the scientists and the economists, it's not that economists and scientists live in ivory towers. In many ways, they're quite disconnected from day-to-day investment decisions. Their job is to think through models and impacts and so on. But it's when it gets translated to investment advice or investment recommendations, and then then in turn, those investment recommendations by finance officers and trustees of pension schemes, they then have to look at, you know, I mentioned this phrase fiduciary duty, their responsibility to maintain the value of the assets. They then give that advice back to their investment managers, which they typically outsource the the day-to-day fund management to Mm -hmm. outside, you know, big fund managers, um, the Goldman Sachs and the Schroders of this world. If the models are wrong and the advice following from those models is wrong, and then the the risk assumptions are wrong, then the, what fund managers are then doing is investing money blind. They're not really aware of all the potential risks. And this is probably you know, why when we know we have to reduce emissions by 50% within a decade, that means 3% decline in use of oil and gas mm-hmm. each year, compound it, to get to net zero. They're looking at these kind of assumptions and go, well, actually, we don't need to do any of these things because the value of our assets aren't going to be affected. We can go a lot more, we can mm-hmm. go a lot more slowly. Yeah. And that really is the, the is the risk, is the deferring to the future decisions that need to be made today because of an over-reliance on models that says not, not much is happening here, please move along, Gov, which is where we find ourselves with many of these pension funds. Yeah, and I understand this is you know not just an issue for pension funds and other investors, but kind of a systemic issue as well, because it's also the the central banks and governments that are relying on the same research to do, you know, stress tests of the resilience of the financial system. They are. I mean, the Financial Stability Board, which is this body set up by the G20, is using Mm -hmm. the same models. And so this isn't just rippling through the way investment consultants advise pension schemes. It's actually rippling through the way regulators supervise the banking system, where the extent of the loans outstanding to the fossil fuel economy is is measured in the trillions. It's vast. We... Carbon Tracker, we calculated the size of the fossil fuel system is around $30 trillion of fixed assets of pipelines, oil refineries, coal-fired power stations, trains that carry the coal, all of which is going to have to be written mm-hmm. down in coming decades or so. And yet you've got this counter-narrative from these models that essentially say, actually, you don't have to worry too much because if you don't do that, your pension schemes are not going to lose mm-hmm. much value anyway. And, and that really is the contradiction that, Professor Keane's really important work that he's done here with Carbon Truck is is revealing. Steve, I guess if you could tell us a little bit more about what you think will happen if um, financial market participants stick with their current methods 
of assessment and the world continues at its current pace of decarbonization. I know the report talks about some climate Minsky moments. If you could explain yeah. what might happen there. Well, as, as Mark has said, the relying on the work of economists, pension funds have drastically underestimated and all financial institutions and central banks and governments have drastically underestimated the impact of climate change. So there, if you think that you can get to four degrees of warming and your GDP will be no more than, rather than being three times what it is now per capita, four times what it is now per capita will be three times. And that's something in 80 years time, it's somebody else's problem. Your valuation for your mm-hmm. assets is, is reflecting no serious significant threats whatsoever for 80 years, your current estimations would ignore effectively the impact of climate change. What the science is telling us that if we get past 1.5 degrees, we are likely to trigger a range of cascading tipping points in the climate, which will overwhelm any capacity we have to respond to those changes. And that therefore means that the, the valuations will be affected not only in the lifetime of people who are alive today, but possibly in the in the five or ten year investment horizon of most of these fund mm-hmm. managers. So when reality strikes, the difference between what we value those assets at and what they'll be worth will be virtually the entire worth of the asset. So we can see a catastrophic collapse wow. in asset values when reality hits and takes over from economic theory. All right. So and Mark, just to to wrap up, I guess if for people listening who want to to heed this wake-up call, what's your advice for them and what are kind of the key takeaways moving forward? So if you're a trustee of a pension scheme and you're trying to develop a climate policy, question the value of integrated assessment models and telling you anything about how to manage climate risk. They have their place, probably more in the world of sort of academia rather than the practical day-to-day decision-making that you need to, to do as an investment manager or as a trustee. So we, we prefer more what you would call narrative analysis and scenarios. So there's 25% of the world's equity markets are linked to the fossil fuel system, cement, steel, aviation, shipping, and about half of non-bank corporate bonds are linked to the fossil fuel system. So there's a lot of value at risk here. Go away as a trustee and ask your investment managers, let's assume demand for oil and gas is reduced by 50% in the next decade. Use that as a stress test to see whether the companies you own, the Shells, the Exxons, the BPs, are resilient in a world which is cutting use of fossil fuels by 50%. Look at the big cement and steel companies. Can they afford the cost of decarbonizing? That kind of scenario stress testing, which you do as a fund manager, as an analyst, uh, you, you challenge your assumptions about the future of a company, do that. That's going to be far more of a useful exercise. And if you come back in your investment committee and say, we've stress tested what happens to our portfolio, we've looked at what happens to Exxon, and they will survive a cut in demand by 50%, fine. Then you're not in trouble in terms of protecting your assets. But if you discover, actually, a lot of these companies' business models are tied in the past, they won't form part of a sustainable future, then change the way you invest. Invest Mm -hmm. for a resilient future. And and actually, if you do that, you're more likely to meet your fiduciary duties. You're more likely to protect the value of our assets. And as a trustee, you're probably more likely to meet your fiduciary duties, which is to protect the assets and help deliver benefits for the public, which you, who, of course, rely on their pensions being paid. And that's really the point here. 
what this is, exercise is all about is a safe, a safe and secure mm-hmm. climate. Yes, but also a stable and secure financial system, one that's resilient for the future, one that's resilient in a world that, sadly, because of climate change, is rapidly changing. Thanks. Thank you both for this very important work. I believe the the research is uh, going to be available on the Carbon Tracker website. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, www.carbontracker.org. Those that use Twitter, we're at Carbon Bubble. And you can also find us on LinkedIn. And all of Carbon Tracker's research, as you know, is is completely freely available. And we regularly present to trustees and investment committees and investment managers and Anybody who wants to dig deeper will be delighted to share the research. Yes, well, thank you both. And thank you all for listening.